Good morning. <laughs> I never get tired of that video. Isn't it so good? Oh, it's just inspiring to me. Like, hey, let's get in the Word. Let's figure this out. This is awesome. Welcome to week five of the Unveiled Kingdom. I can feel the suspense in the room already. Awesome. So we've talked a lot about the kingdom. We've talked about what it is, when it is, now. And now we're going to be talking about when and who the kingdom is revealing. And today we're going to talk about the way of the kingdom. So we're going to pull our Mandalorian hats out and put them on. This is the way. I love how one of you got that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm okay being the only nerdy one. That's fine. No, this is the way. It always every time we watch those episodes, I always think about that verse where Jesus says, "This is the way. Walk in it." So then, every time the Mandalorian says, "This is the way," I'm like, "Walk in it." <laughs> so, gotta bring Jesus into culture, right? So we're gonna talk about the way of the kingdom. We're gonna talk about what the way is. So Matthew uses the phrase "kingdom of heaven." Up until now, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. But Matthew in his gospel says the kingdom of heaven. And he says it over 30 times in the one gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And why is this significant? I believe it's because Matthew is wanting to get across the nature of the kingdom. The Jews at that time were excited about a physical king coming a kingdom that was physical, that they were going to see with their eyes, they were going to experience in, among their borders and in their nations. But what Matthew is getting at was the supernatural, spiritual nature of the kingdom that Jesus was going to be talking about. So, spiritual, not physical. You can understand that the Jews would have been looking for something totally different than what was actually going to happen, right? So, but Jesus actually tells them John 18, 36, when he's standing before Pilate, right before he's about to be crucified, he says, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. He could not be more clear about that. My kingdom is not from here. So we're reinforcing the idea that it's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. Later in Matthew, he writes verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So he's using the gospel and the kingdom and he's connecting the two. He's connecting the kingdom and the gospel together and this is important because wherever Jesus went and proclaimed the gospel, he proclaimed the good news, miracles followed. Every time. He proclaimed the good news, this is the way, and now I will heal you. So it's repeated that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've probably heard this a little bit. If you did the challenge in January about reading Matthew in one sitting, you probably noticed, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist was saying, repent, the kingdom is at hand. So what we're going to talk about today is Jesus beginning to describe a repentant lifestyle what a lifestyle of somebody in the kingdom looks like. Becoming a kingdom citizen, it's our identity, it's who we are, a kingdom bearer. And what does that look like? What do we have to do? 
And I would actually suggest it's less of what we have to do and more of who Jesus is encouraging us to be. So, let's dive in because we've got a lot to get through and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally do it on time. Okay, here we go. Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Whoa, (laughs) that's a lot. But it's really exciting how Jesus does this. And we know this today as the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, because he was on a mountain when he was preaching. And it's basically his message on how we should live. As I was saying, this is the way, the way of the kingdom. He's beginning to do that, to be a kingdom bearer. In most Bibles, before this section, there will be a little title that says the Beatitudes. Yeah? You can fact check that later. That's fine. But Beatitudes. And now many of you might be saying, what on earth is a beatitude? Well, in the Latin, it actually means blessing. So we can read this as a list of blessings. Blessings and blessings. Now, before we dig into each one a little bit, there's a few things that apply to them all. One is that they're not given in a random order. It's not just ideas Jesus is getting that kind of pops out. They overflow and build on each other, and they, in the end, give an overflowing picture, a complete picture of a kingdom citizen. And as I said before, briefly, they're addressed to the Jews at that time, but also to us now. Back in the ancient days, they were looking for a physical kingdom. They were waiting for a physical king. And Jesus is addressing them this way, but it's also for us because we know the kingdom is also now. We are able to experience as well. So this is for all of us. All eight blessings state a condition, and then provide a promise. So there's always two parts. There's a condition and a promise. Each verse is also in the present tense. Why would that be important? Because I believe that Jesus is not saying, oh, you should do all these things. He's saying that you are these things. We can be these things. It's not to strive. And the first and the last contain the same promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that before. Bookends in ancient Greek literature means that everything in between, it applies to the same. All of the things in between, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so let's dig in. What does it mean to walk in the way of the kingdom? What does it mean to be blessed? Jesus says that over and over, blessed are, blessed are. What does that mean? And what's important to understand is that it's not talking about happiness. Do you guys understand the difference? (laughs) We're not talking about a boost of dopamine or serotonin sitting in the sun. Like, we're not talking about momentary bliss. This is an inner fountain of joy. Like, joy and blessedness that can't be changed by anything that happens to you. 
So blessed, not just happy, blessed are you. So the first, first of two points that I want to make today is the kingdom of heaven and to be a kingdom bearer means to bless, be blessed, and to bless others. Be blessed and then bless others. Okay, let's dig in. Beatitudes. Now, something I want to encourage you with, this is not just a checklist that you can read and be like, oh my gosh, I'm not any of these things. What do I do? <laughs> I always feel that when I read Proverbs 31. Anyone else? <laughs> oh, Jesus, help. Right? No. These are just instructions. Jesus is showing us the picture, okay? So he goes up on the mountain. He starts to preach. Everybody comes around him. And the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is a fundamentally an acute awareness of the nature and effect of sin. It has nothing to do with money or finances. It has to do with our condition. We are utterly dependent on God and his mercy because of our sin. We understand the nature of sin being death, death to us and death to others and other sin towards us. We are poor in spirit because we recognize that spiritual poverty and dependence on God's mercy. And when you recognize that, blessed are you. Blessed are you. This is the opposite of pride and self-sufficiency. We are spiritually empty. I love how the New English Bible says, how blessed are those who know their need of God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You're poor in spirit. We understand I need God. I can't do it on my own. How blessed are those who know their need of God. All right, the next one, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what's the, what's the, we are poor in spirit, so now we mourn. We are devastated at our sinful nature. We mourn at our separation from the Lord. This is from the original Greek word pentheo, which means to weep and wail and lament, to have a broken heart. Not just a little sadness, we're talking broken heart, and it actually also suggests feelings of guilt. Blessed are you who mourn over your spiritual poverty. And what's the promise? For they will be, everybody say, comforted. And I would suggest to you that the word comfort here actually means restoration. If you understand your need of God and you mourn over it, you will be restored. Restoration. Verse 5 continues, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now meekness should not be confused with weakness. A lot of times we read that, we think, oh, we have that picture in our head of kind of meek, timid. No. The implication in this word is strength and power, but under control. And the perfect example of the ultimate meek one is Jesus on the cross. He was the meek one. He had strength and power, but it was under control and fully submitted to the Lord, to God. So the listeners would have understood that this was obedience to God and accepting his will. 
found this really interesting quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, basically, renouncing every right of their own to live for the sake of Jesus Christ. When reproached, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When men drive them from their presence, they yield their ground. They will not defend their rights or make a scene when they suffer injustice. They are determined to leave their rights to God. Meekness. Strength under control. And the promise here is inheriting the earth. That's powerful. Blessed are you who have strength under control and who submit to my will, this is Jesus and God, you will inherit the earth, the very earth. The renewal of the earth began on the cross. Jesus, the meek one, he died and began to spread the kingdom from that one act. And the kingdom will come again. And the meek shall possess the earth. Now, if you remember this, Darian did talk about this a couple weeks ago, but Daniel 7, about the children of the Holy One inheriting the kingdom, this is what he's referring to. It's the same very thing. Can you see how they're kind of building on each other a little bit? If you do this, you'll be this, and all the promises you're building, and this is how we're supposed to be. It's really exciting. So verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I did a little research here in the original Greek for hunger and thirst, is to starve uncontrollably. Whoa. Have you guys ever been <laughs> uncontrollably starving? Anybody fa fast here? And by the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm starving. Starving uncontrollably. Jesus is the thing we're supposed to be hungering for in the sense that it's uncontrollably starving. We just hunger and thirst for Jesus. And the promise is we will be, what? Satisfied? Filled. Yes. Thanks, Greg. And the promise Jesus makes all of us who are starving uncontrollably after righteousness is that one day we shall be filled. And again, thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection. Moving on, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Give mercy, receive mercy. And I understand mercy here to be a lot like empathy in a modern context. As we're going through these blessings, and we are okay, we know our need of God, we understand, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't we automatically understand everybody else to be in the same boat as us and need the same amount of mercy that we do? And does that not put us in a place to be merciful? Just because I sin differently than so-and-so doesn't mean I am any better or worse. We all need mercy. And the implication here is that it's matched mercy. If we are merciful, receive it back. Have mercy, receive it back. And that's a promise. All right, this last one that we're gonna sit on for a minute is actually my favorite, which is blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. To be pure in heart means to have our minds and emotions set on Jesus. He is the first thing, the only thing, the highest thing. Unwavering commitment to worshiping him. 
And the promise here is to see God. And I believe that means to see God's glory. We sang about that this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see his glory. And I would suggest to you that those of us who are pure in heart are the ones that are able to see God's glory. If we want to see God's glory, we want to see God, that's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. In the ancient Jewish culture, the heart was actually a thinking organ. They understood it to be more of a thinking thing. And so what they would have understood this to mean is actually our mind and intentions being pure, being sincere, nothing contaminated with ulterior motives or passive aggression. So to use a modern expression, being pure in heart in our context would be similar to somebody who's not two-faced, somebody who is exactly the same in private as they are when they think people are watching. Exactly the same. Blessed are the pure in heart who put Jesus first. He is the highest in their life. For they will see God. They will see the glory of God. That's something I want for myself, for sure. For sure. Now something to notice here is that these first few blessings or beatitudes are focused inward. They're focused on our heart condition and on our minds. Blessed are you who are this. And as we move forward, the last couple are actually focused more outward as it builds. Which brings me to my second point today, which is, first point was the call of a kingdom bearer is to be blessed and to bless others. Second one is that a kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness and right relationships. Living rightly and having right relationships. Verse 9 continues on how we can have right relationships. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemaking begins with peace living, and it's a relational matter. How many of you feel completely at peace right now? Just raise a hand. Oh, no one. That's interesting. Okay. Well, hopefully that'll change by the end of the service here today. <laughs> Jesus will do it. He's going to do it. But blessed are the peacemakers. And to be peacemakers, we must first make peace with God. So Jesus made that peace possible on the cross. And we are now to be peacemakers. Peace with God and now peace with others. And the Bible tells us to pursue peace, to chase after peace. It's not passive. Psalm 34, 11 to 14. Well, it's really just the last verse I'm going to focus on. Depart from evil. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue. How do we do that? Well, practically speaking, it could be as simple as guarding our tongues. Rejecting and resisting temptation. Doing what is right. Depart from evil. Now, I might be slightly controversial here, but I feel strongly about this, and I believe the Lord wants to say something, and that everybody wants peace, but few of us are willing to pay the price for it. 
We live in an age of consumerism. Mass production, marketing, easily accessible credit, no self-restraint, immediate gratification. And we are willing and perfectly content to accumulate decades of debt for a moment of bliss. And when something breaks, we get rid of it rather than fix it. Now, what does this have to do with being peacemakers? Well, it's a good question. I would love to tell you. This mentality and these habits and this culture has directly affected our relationship with others. What happens when we're offended by someone? Anybody? Yeah. Cancelled. Discarded. It's too big of a cost to fix the thing we've invested in. It's too big, and the payoff is skewed. We don't understand the payoff. And it applies to every level of relationship. It applies to the strangers in the comments section. Acquaintances, colleagues, coworkers, friends, family, and spouses. And so we leave a trail of broken relationships and broken people in our wake because we are not pursuing righteousness and pursuing peace. Ephesians 4 verse 3 and Romans 14 19 say it this way, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, which is a fancy word for encouragement. That's not saying, oh, let's sit back and just let God do it. Effort, make every effort to pursue peace. And you'll notice that Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. And our little Canadian hearts are really sad. <laughs> we want to avoid conflict at all costs. Keep the peace. A peacemaker is not the same as a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper will just manage the status quo, right? Just managing the status quo. And to me, for me, that's exhausting. That is the opposite of peace. And it's most likely anxious, worried about what's going to offset the status quo. Peacemakers actively seek healing. Actively seek healing. They get into a relationship and they roll up their sleeves. Peacemakers effort. Back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, peacemakers keep the peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than inflict it on someone else. That's interesting. How many of us are willing to absorb suffering to save someone else for it? I know we'd like to think we would be in the moment, but are we really? I don't know. I don't know. Peacemakers. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this final one might feel a little jarring. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and persecution. <laughs> 
But are we really surprised at persecution? John 15, 18 to 20 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as, it own, as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, this is Jesus speaking still, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So we ought not to be surprised at any level of persecution. And the verse at the beginning, that we talked about at the beginning, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And now he's saying, you are not of this world. I have called you out of the world. So to live as Jesus lived inevitably leads to persecution. And he is saying, blessed are you if that happens. The world will be offended. Rejection is our reward often, not recognition. But blessed are us. That's super awesome grammar, hey? Blessed are we. Blessed are us. Because here's the book-ended promise. Maybe you can read it with me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes. I love the certainty of these blessings. It's certain. Present conditions are not eternal. And Jesus declares that God's kingdom will be established. And he's establishing it now and not yet. And our needs will be fully met in the fullness of time. And he is saying that now. It's not a kingdom of violence based on nations and borders and wars, but it's a kingdom that's powerful, spiritual. People who are pursuing God and putting him first. We are recognizing our sin and our brokenness, bringing it to God, pursuing what is right. We are showing mercy, seeking purity, and demonstrating peace and seeking and pursuing peace with others no matter the circumstances. Because, let's say it again, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's say that again. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is ours. Let's quickly review. Point one, the call of a kingdom bearer. This is the way walk in it, is to be blessed and to bless others. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness and right relationships. And that's a whole list of how to do that. Now quickly moving on to the final piece, Jesus talks about being salt and light. But something to notice here, he is not commanding us to be he is saying, you are. You are. He's declaring it over us. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, why would Jesus be talking about ordinary table condiments all of a sudden? Well, a quick Wikipedia search about salts taught me a couple things. Salt is necessary for life. A lot of you probably know that in basic science. Our body is mostly water, and there's salt in the water. But it also conducts nerve impulses. 
contracts and releases your muscles, and it maintains a proper balance in the water of the minerals in your body. Cool. In the Roman world, they viewed salt as purity, as a preservation for life. Salt equals purity. This was super interesting. It was often so scarce, despite its necessity, that nations would go to war over salt. <laughs> I did not know that. It makes sense to me to go to war over like oil or gold or nation's borders or whatever power. That makes sense. Salt? That is how necessary the ancient world viewed salt. And finally, salt loses itself in service to the thing being salted. So it seasons and preserves and purifies. It must remain salty to be indispensable and necessary. You can't make salt salty, <laughs> and unsalty salt is worthless. Now we're going to quickly move on because I've been fasting and this is making my mouth water. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll soak her back to salt in a minute. Jesus says, verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The purpose of light is to shine. As it's portrayed here, we are the possessors and givers of light. And light also represents how we are to live. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This verse always makes me think of that DC Talk song. <laughs> I want to be in the light. All right, I'm old. It's fine. Okay. All right. I've always read this, that the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin is the important part of the verse, but God highlighted this to me in this context of who we are in the kingdom. If we walk in the light, we will have fellowship. We will have fellowship. I never noticed that before. That is so cool. And in all of the Bible's references to light, it is not self-generated ever. It comes from somewhere and then transforms everything. And light itself isn't what we see. We become aware of light when it illuminates the things. But then the illumination points back to the source. Okay, now back to salt. What does that have in common? What does light and salt have to do with the kingdom? Well, this is the way, Mandalorian helmets. Cool. In salt and light, their name or their nature and their function are exactly the same. Salt salts because it's salt, and light lights because it's light. And Jesus is a little cheeky here, and he says, I'm gonna paraphrase, this is my paraphrase of him being cheeky, the way of the kingdom, or a disciple of the kingdom, that does not live like a disciple of the kingdom, is worth as much as tasteless salt or invisible light. Being a kingdom citizen, who we are in the kingdom, if we are not living like that, we might as well be tasteless salt or invisible light. 
the call of a kingdom citizen, the way of the kingdom requires us to be salt, infusing and elevating and preserving life and light, which is visible but unseen, but always pointing to the king. And both of those things draw people to us? No. Jesus. Always pointing to Jesus. There's a famous children's author, um, Madeline Langle. She said it this way. I love this. We draw people to Christ by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. The way that we live and exist in the world and bang up against each other, if we are existing the way that Jesus is describing here, the way of the kingdom, salt and light, all of the blessings, it will be an aroma so lovely that everyone else will just be so curious, what on earth is it that's different about you? And then we get to say it's Jesus. Jesus. And verse 16 sums up the entire point, and that is to give glory to your Father in heaven. All of these things are to give glory to the Father. It's all for God's glory to point to Jesus. Kingdom bearers in alignment and partnership with righteousness and the kingdom will always point back to the King. Now, it's really important. I definitely don't think the Lord wants us to be discouraged in any way this morning. That was a lot. that We got through it, you guys. We did it. We did it. But it's not a list of things that we have to strive for because it's not anything that we have to do in our own strength. Jesus promises we will be filled with his spirit. And it is not by our might or by our will or power, but by his spirit that these things are accomplished. We have his power. We have his life. We have his spirit. And that is the thing that allows us to come in alignment with the way of the kingdom. And that's hopeful and exciting. And I hope we all leave here this morning being so excited about being salt and light, about knowing who we are, knowing what the way is and walking in it. And I promise you, you guys, your interactions will change. Your conversations will be different. Conflict will be different. So we're just going to end with a little bit of reflection here. Very quickly, because I know we've got to get to lunch. others see in my life? What do I want others to see in my life? Jesus, what do you want others to see in my life? We're all different and created unique, and so we're all, it's not going to look the same for everybody. But what is, what is the thing? What are you already doing well that Jesus is celebrating? And what is it that could be elevated? What do you want others to see? What do others currently see in your life? Remember, God's voice never has shame. 
So if that's present right now, I command that to leave in Jesus' name. There is no shame attached to God calling out the gold in our lives. This is encouragement and joy and blessing. Blessed are, not only if you do these things. Blessed are you. And by walking in my way, walking in the way of the kingdom, you will be those things. And this is how to do it. And all of those promises are ours. Ours is the kingdom. We will see God. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than Jesus. powerfully upon your house this morning on all your people Lord give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to receive the blessing that you have for us the blessing of your way in the kingdom Lord I pray you would show your power infuse us with power and authority with your spirit so that we can walk in your way thank you for what you've done for us Jesus for who you are and thank you for your kingdom and its power and its possibilities and that it is now in Jesus name it is now and we claim it Jesus we want to be a part of it we want to bring the kingdom to earth we want to show it on earth and your will on earth as it is in heaven right now and I pray that you would show us what you want from us Lord you would show us how to be salt and light how to preserve life, to seek peace, how to seek healing and blessing in the world around us. And I pray for revelation and joy on your people this morning, God. And I pray they would go from here in your mighty power, in your spirit, with your infinite, unfailing kindness and joy leading the way. And that they would go out change the world.